0: And welcome to Communicore Weekly. I'm George, and I'm Jeff. I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. It's time for Disney history. On a hot summer's day, there's nothing quite like having an ice cream. Well. For most people. Actually ice cream really makes my stomach hurt, so I'd much rather have something else. But for those of you who do enjoy ice cream, and Disney, there's no better place than the Gibson Girl Ice Cream Parlor at Disneyland. When Disneyland first opened in 1955, this
1: location was known as the Puffin Bakery. and I. Can't imagine baking puffins. In 1960 the location closed for a month and reopened as the Sunkissed Citrus House where fruit juices and sandwiches were offered. In 1990 the Sunkissed sponsorship ended and it became the Blue Ribbon Bakery. <laughs> In 1997 the Carnation Ice Cream Parlor was reorganized into Carnation Cafe and the Blue Ribbon Bakery was moved into what had been the indoor portion of that restaurant. And the Gibson Girl Ice Cream Parlor opened at that time, and
0: I really should have drawn a map. It's very, very confusing. Oh well. So, the Gibson Girl Ice Cream Parlor is a tribute to Charles Dana Gibson, an American graphic artist, noted for his creation of The Gibson Girl, which is an iconic representation of the beautiful and independent American woman at the turn of the 20th century. He was the highest paid illustrator of his time, making about a thousand dollars per illustration. Which for the 1930s was an unheard of amount of money. It's even unheard of today, I want to make a thousand bucks for a picture or a video cast. Hey! Hey! There's an idea.
1: Though the Gibson Girl Ice Cream Parlor isn't all that old, it still has a pretty interesting history and one that fits in nicely with the rest of Main Street USA theming. It was designed to look like the corner store that young men and women would meet up to
0: share a soda pop or a milkshake. The place is absolutely filled with Americana theming. The checkerboard uh, floor pattern is very typical for the turn of the century soda fountain style. The chairs that are used there are known as sweetheart chairs and are made of a very special wire bending machine that twists the back of each chair individually. Each chair features a wrought iron openwork back with a heart shaped design and a round padded seat. They are also typically found in the old fashioned ice cream parlors and soda shops. The Gibson girl is also home to a gorgeous glass
1: elephant. This elephant was made for Disneyland Paris and was given to Disneyland as a gift. She was originally on display in the Penny Arcade throughout the 1990s before she made her home with the Gibson Girl. And depending on who you ask, her name is either Lucy because she is made out of Lucite or Penny because of her Penny Arcade connection. There was also a rumor that she was named Penny because she was filled with US pennies
0: while living at Disneyland Paris. However, that
1: doesn't seem to be the case.
0: Until 2003, Gibson Girl was the only location in the world to get the infamous secret quotation figures, secret ice cream flavor, Fantasia. It was a made of, uh, mix of banana, pistachio, and black cherry, with cherry halves in it. Unfortunately, the recipe was owned by Carnation and Nestle, so when Disney switched to using Dryer's ice cream, Nestle wouldn't let them continue using it. Hmm. I wonder if I could make that at home and Probably just not telling could. anybody. Ah. The Gibson Girl also just went through a
1: refurbishment where it looks even nicer than it did on the day it opened. It now has a greatly enhanced queue, <laughs> though it's not interactive unless you are playing with your food. Um, more registers and more seats to enjoy the delicious sweets. There's also a window to view the cone makers making the delicious waffle cones.
0: He's a nerd. He's a, nerd. He's, a He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. Ah! It's George's Book of the Week.
1: I want to do something slightly different this week, Jeff. And instead of looking at one book, I want to look at my top five favorite Disneyland books. Since you told me I couldn't look at 30 of them. But 30 too many. I'm sorry. Yeah, way know, too much too many for the segment. Uh, as a warning, I will be asking if you have any of these. So, in uh, the Immortal Words of Scar. Be prepared probably my favorite book in my collection is the nickel tour by bruce gordon and david mumford this outstanding expensive and extremely rare book chronicles the history of disneyland through postcards it is funny and brilliant and if you can find a copy of it then get it it is worth every nickel i see what you did there i know i try. disneyland the inside story by randy bright is THE reference source for Disneyland history. Randy started at Disneyland in 1959 and wrote the definitive history of the first 30 years of Disneyland. Almost every Disney history book has been based on Randy's book. I did a full review of The Art of Disneyland by Bruce Gordon and Jeff Curdy in another episode, but this is still one of my favorites. It is another rare title, and The Art of Disneyland is solely about the concept art that was created for Disneyland, including several unbuilt attractions. This book is absolutely gorgeous. Disneyland, Then, Now and Forever by Bruce Gordon and Tim O'Day is a great history book because it actually shows you the current attractions and what was there before. You know, like what was there before the Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland. It was published to celebrate the 50th anniversary and offer some great photos. Disneyland Through the Decades by Jeff Curdy is one of the more recent titles. Curdy takes us on a photographic journey through Disneyland and it is really a long love letter to Disneyland Park with some excellent photographs. You know, Jeff, there are more Disneyland books than you can shake a churro at, and these are just my top five favorites. Do you have a favorite?
0: I do, actually. The uh, the Art of Disneyland, uh, the one you just talked about by Bruce Gordon and Jeff Curdy. I don't actually own it, but uh, I've seen it before, and it's got a lot of gorgeous pieces of concept art in it, and uh, I agree with you. If someone can find it and it's affordable, I would definitely pick it up. Uh, unfortunately, I have yet to find an affordable copy, so I will continue staring at somebody else's sometimes it's a one sometimes it's a two when you gotta go what you're gonna do it's a bathroom break a bathroom break you know george a lot of people complain about the current state of the imagination pavilion and how bad the ride is but if you want a much more enjoyable experience you could just go around the corner of the imagination pavilion to find the bathroom they have there it's Right off to the right-hand side, it's kind of hidden, so, you know, not a lot of people, people go over there, but I, I think it's a great little bathroom. Hmm. you know, that might be time well spent. Well, as, as you head around
1: the right side of the building, it's it just a long walk. You'll notice the red and orange garish colors that decorate the walls, but once you head inside the restroom and that air conditioning hits you, you'll be glad you're there. Uh, it's got a baby change station, like you would expect. With an electrolyte right next to it. So if your baby, I, I mean, your phone needs to be recharged, you can spend a few quiet moments in the air conditioning, enjoying the imagination bathrooms. Here's another minute that you can't get back. The 60 review. This is gonna take more than 60 seconds for this review. Do you think we should play the theme song twice? Eh, yeah, we might. Yeah, okay. Well, this review is all about the Avengers. Um, The movie has everything that a superhero fan wants. Great action scenes, funny dialogue, fantastic characters that you love, and wonderful dialogue. It was so good I had to mention it twice. Joss Whedon was the perfect person to helm this film and it shows. I took my eight-year-old, 13-year-old, my wife, and my dad, and everyone loved it. Everyone walked away just ecstatic about the film. It is PG-13, and you'll have to make the decision about your own kids and whether the film is appropriate. There is violence, but it wasn't any worse than you see on most late afternoon cartoon shows. And if your kids have seen the other films, uh, then this is at the same level, only
0: better. Much, much better. Jeff,
1: what did you think about it? Uh,
0: To be honest with you, I'm still amazed that this movie even got made to begin with. It was a big temple Superhero movie, but with like a gazillion superheroes all rolled into one I mean they built off the existing movie structure that they had for all the other films But I think what a lot of people will enjoy is that even if you don't see the other films beforehand You'd still appreciate this one I mean sure you'd understand the characters more you would have more of an emotional connection with them But you don't need to see all the other films to enjoy this film and it shows uh, This movie was fantastic I was really caught off guard, I mean I guess I shouldn't have been because you know, Whedon wrote and directed it, but there was a lot of humor in this film and it was spot on. There was little comedy bits all over the place and they felt right at home. And even though it featured all the, the heroes, Robert Downey Jr. was the standout, for me at least. He, he makes the movie and he is Tony Stark, uh, without a doubt. But every, every character got their own little standout moment and, and everything was fantastic. I admittedly am part of the cult of Whedon, but even if I wasn't, I still think I would have enjoyed this movie. And, you know, I I told my girlfriend when we were walking out, and it kind of reminded me of Doctor Who in a way, where all the other films that came before this were kind of like season one, and this was the the Doctor Who Christmas special, (laughs) where... You know, (laughs) it comes in between season one and season two because we know there's more superhero movies coming. But this was the big special feature in the in the middle. And it was wonderful. And I cannot wait for more.
1: Yeah, it was a fantastic movie. And I think I'm going to have to go see it again and maybe again. I'm not sure. But, you know, uh, thinking back, it took us 17 issues uh, episodes to mention Doctor Who.
0: Yeah, that's kind of surprising. Hmm, I guess there's just not enough of a Disney Doctor Who connection. I'm sure we can find more though as we as we go along. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey look, what's that? It's a
1: five-legged goat.
0: <laughs> Back in the late 1960s, they started using fiberglass to replace a lot of stuff at Disneyland. It helped cut down on time and money spent on repairs. A good example of this are the petrified wooden posts in Frontierland by the shooting gallery. The original wooden posts were donated to Walt back in the 1950s by a gentleman in Montana who collected them. After he visited Disneyland, he knew he found a good home for them, so he gave them to Walt. Walt liked them so much that he had them put into the park. Wood rots, so after about
1: 20 years, these posts started to deteriorate. Rolly Crump, who was the art director for the parks at the time, took out the post to make molds out of them. From those molds, they made fiberglass replicas. They look and feel exactly like the real pieces of petrified wood. And those fiberglass replicas are still in the park today. You know, I wonder what else they made fiberglass replicas of. Walt Disney?
0: Oh, might be, we'll have to check. Thanks so much for watching uh, and listening. Be sure to leave us a comment or rate us on iTunes. Email us at communicor at gmail.com like us on facebook at facebook.com slash Communicore weekly and follow both of us on twitter i'm at imagineerding
1: and he's at jeff heimbuck i'm george and i'm jeff and we're from mice chat thanks so much for watching